The greatest commission that Christ ever gave was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. If there was ever a time for the gospel that can transform the human heart, it's now. Time is short. The gospel alone has light for a world of darkness. The gospel alone has a remedy for the world's sickness. The gospel alone has life for the world's death. This gospel could transform individuals and those individuals could transform society. We have come in this generation and stopped short. But Christ said, go. Yeah, yeah. How we doing, everybody? Doesn't that fire you up? That's a great, that is a great intro. Um, now, I don't know if you guys know that. Do you know who that is, who that, that, that's talking there? That's Billy Graham, right? The greatest evangelist to ever preach, probably. And so, so what's cool, what's cool is when they show me this, they show me this, uh, this bumper video, they're like, oh, man, this is what our new intro is going to be. I was like, that is amazing. We have got to do that. That is going to be so awesome. And it, I'd be, what a great way to intro talking about the gospel. I was like, yeah, that'd be so cool. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, Scott, you're going to have the greatest evangelist of all time. Highlights from him talking about the gospel. Right before you get ready to talk about the gospel. Like, there's a reason this has never been done before. The service has peaked, everybody, right there. It's all downhill. It's all downhill, hopefully not. Just kidding. Um, let's take a minute. Let's welcome everybody who's watching online right now. And, of course, everybody who's over at that south side, south campus. Come on, north campus. Put your hands together. Let's welcome everybody who's with us today. All right. Well, we are, we are really excited about this series that we are jumping in. It's going to be a powerful series. And we are in the midst of our 30 for 30 challenge and I want to encourage you, if you have not jumped in with us yet, if you missed last week or if you're new to our church, take a minute, jump into this challenge because this will change your life. Spending time every day with God will be a game changer for you. 30 days, 30 minutes, and you will see your heart change. You will see God do things. You will see the miraculous happen in your life. I believe it. If you do, say, I do. I really believe it. So jump in. We've already seen some things happening. We're already seeing uh, God moving and answering prayer. I'm going to encourage you to jump in online with us. We've got a devotional on our app. You can check that out on, or also on our website. And uh, it will help you. It will help you experience all that God has for you, especially as we go into this fall, something we do every year. And you can take the month. You can be fasting. You can be praying. You can be uh, setting apart time just to seek the Lord, and God will bless you for it. All right, well... We're starting a new series. It's called Launch. And the reason we're doing this series is because we want to launch you into all that God has for you, all right? We believe God has amazing things for you. He has amazing things he wants to do in your life. And we want to help propel you into that. So we've come up with this idea of launch. Now, when you think about launch, and even with our sermon bumper, you think about rocket ship, right? Like you think about, you know, uh, people taking off, going to outer space. And I don't know if you've noticed this recently, but, like, that's kind of becoming trendy, like, to go out, of, like, into outer space. Have you noticed this recently? Like, everybody all of a sudden is going to outer space. Like, just a few weeks ago, uh, I think the first person to do it was Richard Branson, right? Virgin Atlantic. He went out to outer space, and, like, he took a plane and then came back in. And then uh, after that was Jeff Bezos, Right? Uh, Amazon guy, he went up and then came down in a parachute out of space. Just has, this has nothing to do with my message, but I just want to ask you a question. 
How many of you are looking forward to that day when you could afford a ticket to do some space travel? How many of you going to be like an early adopter there? You're like, yeah, get me out there, all right? A few. How many of you are saying, no way ever? You're just like, come on, look at this. It's all my people right here. All my people. There will be millions of people who fly before I ever do. You know, like, it's just going to be, I want to make sure that thing is tested, tried, and true. It has nothing to do with my message. I was just curious. All right. What's, what's interesting, thanks for the amen. All right. Uh, what's interesting, when, when, the, when the New Testament writers would be thinking about launching, they would not be thinking about a rocket ship, obviously. They would be thinking, the closest thing they would have would be a foot race, like how you start. Like how you, you, you get off the blocks, as it were. Like, they would be thinking about that. They had races in that day. In fact, the Apostle Paul oftentimes will compare Christianity to a race. So they're thinking about that. They're understanding that a launch compared to a race uh, would be very much on their mind. And, and, of course, that is very relevant for us right now because the Olympics are happening right now. The, the Tokyo 2020 Olympics happening in 2021, are happening right now. How many of you have been watching? Just wave at me at both locations. You've been getting into it. I get into it. I love it. I'm watching all of it. YouTube TV has made life amazing because it's on demand. I can watch it anytime, anywhere I want. I'm watching all of it. Stuff I don't normally care about, I'm watching, including running. I don't, I don't like running. I'm actually allergic to running. I get hot. I get flustered. I get red in the face. It's not good. So I avoided it at all costs, but I've been getting into track and field. It's been pretty interesting watching the different track and field runners. I've been into the short distance, medium distance, long distance. Uh, I even got into the marathon, the women's marathon the other day. I don't know if you guys caught this. The women's marathon the other day, fascinating race, came down to the very end. Last two miles, there were four people all bunched up together. All right, so they're running together, and they're getting ready to cross the finish line. Now, there's four people, but there's three medals, right? So, like, they're all right there, and so you know this, something's going to happen. And one of them was with, uh, one of them was an American. So, like, of course, you know, I'm rooting for the American, right? You're just like, all right, let's go. And so, all of a sudden, one of the other runners gets tired, literally just pulls out of the race. Two miles left in a marathon. All right, so, so then it's, it's three runners, and one of them's going to win a medal unless something happens. So we're there, and, and the, the American's name was Molly Seidel. So we're there. We're cheering her on, and, like, we're in our TV. My whole family's getting around. We're, like, like they're talking about, you know, they do the story, and they show, like, her picture when she was in grade school. She's like, one day I want to be in the Olympics, you know, when she was in third grade. And so they're telling her story, and I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. Like, she's been wanting to do this her whole life. Come on, Molly. Like, we're all cheering. We're all just, like, getting into it. And like literally going, Molly, Molly, Molly. And she won the bronze medal in the marathon. Come on, America, everybody. Like it was so much fun. And I was like, oh, man, she did it. I'm so proud of her. I had never heard of her before this match. Like never. I never heard of her. But I was really, really excited. I've been getting into all of it. But here's one of the things that's been interesting. And again, I don't know this, but I've just started to watch like in some of the longer, like the 800 and 1600, they don't have their own lane. They all, like, they all like bunch up, but they're in the track, so they're going really, really fast, and they're going around this track, and what can happen is, like, they'll be bunched up, and they'll actually start, like, it becomes like a contact sport, so I'm getting into it, you know? <laughs> like, they're elbowing each other and pushing each other. It's kind of enjoyable. It's like a little bit entertaining. 
And what can happen is, if they're not careful, they can fall. And if they, if they fall, if they trip, they get tripped up, they can trip other people up. And that's kind of fun to watch. Have you ever seen that? I mean, you know, like, you don't want to laugh at their expense, but it's funny. Okay, can we just be honest? And, and so this happened the other day. Uh, one of the Americans was running, and he was running full on. And they initially thought someone else tripped him, but it was actually the American tripped over himself and brought someone else down with him. Now, can you imagine this? You've been preparing for weeks, months, years to get to the Olympics. You get all the way to Tokyo. You have sacrificed. You've gotten up early. You've stayed up late. You've eaten healthy. You've said no to ice cream. And you get all the way there for your qualifying match, and you're running, and you trip up, and you don't make it. Can you, I mean, talk about gut punch, right? Like, is there anything more frustrating than getting all that way and falling short. And the reason I talk about that is because I think that's how Christianity can be for, for a lot of us sometimes, right? Like, have you ever felt that way? Like, man, I'm trying. I'm trying to do this thing. I'm trying to do Christianity, but man, I am, I'm coming up short. And then especially after last week, and if again, if you missed last week, go on, check it out, listen to that message because it was all about like getting ready for God to do something amazing. And we talked about one of the main points. One of the main points, the first point, and I spent a lot of time on it, was obedience. And I talked about obeying the law and how it's important to line our lives up with what, who God is and what God wants. And I stand by that. I believe that that's true. And so all of us, we started running. Okay, man, this time I'm going to do it. We left last week. We're like, I'm going I'm to live this thing out in Jesus' name. I'm going to go. And then I'm going to make it a whole week and I'm going to obey. And then you started running. And then you hit Monday and poof, you fall. <laughs> You ever had a moment like that where you're like, oh, man, I said something I shouldn't. I, I, you know, I did something I shouldn't. The thing I didn't want to do, I did. Have you ever been there frustrated, running? You kind of feel like maybe like Kanye West does when he writes Follow God off of his Jesus is King album. He says this, I'm just trying to find, I've been looking for a new way. I'm just really trying not to really do the full way. You guys know what I'm talking about? Is that hitting you? You probably want me to rap it. It's probably what you want me to do. That will hit a little bit. I'm really going to mess it up now. See, that's a, a too much of a setup. Bring those expectations low. All right. I just trying to find, I've been looking for a new way. I just really trying to not to really do the full way. What's up? <laughs> too expensive. All glory to God. All glory to God. <laughs> what are you talking about, Scott? Some of you are like, what are we doing? All right. Because that whole song, if you listen to the song, the whole song is about this idea of like how I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to follow God. And, 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 but it's difficult and I'm struggling. And, and it gets to the point where at the end of the song, he's going back and forth with his dad. And he's like, and his dad's getting on him. And so like he snaps back at his dad. And his dad's like, that's not Christ-like. And then at the end of the song, Kanye West goes, ah! Literally like, ah, I'm trying here. I've been trying to run this race, but I feel like I keep getting tripped up and I'm tripping other people up. How do we do this? In this is why this series is so important. 
so important. We're launching into the gospel because the answer to how do I do this thing is the gospel. It's the gospel. Now, here's the reality of the gospel. The gospel isn't just what saves us, although the gospel is what saves us, and we're going to unpack that. The gospel isn't just what saves us. The gospel is what gives us the power to live out our salvation. And we're going to unpack that. I'm going to explain this to you. The gospel is the seed that goes down and germinates in our heart and gives us the power to live out our faith. Now, we're going to pack this, but let me give you, first of all, two, two ways not to live out your Christianity, okay? So here's two wrong ways. Here are two bad ways. Here are two ways that don't work in Christianity. The first one is this, trying to be a bad person, obviously. Like, that's a little bit self-explanatory. Do not do this. Do not murder people. Do not cheat people. Do not hurt people. Do not take candy from babies and laugh about it. All right, this is not a good way to live your life, trying to be a bad person is not going not gonna to get you there, all right? I think we can all agree on that, amen? amen? But here's the other thing. Here's another way not to do Christianity. Trying to be a good person. Trying to be a good person. Now, some of you are like, wait, what? I thought that's what we were supposed to be doing. Like, I thought that's what this whole thing was. And Scott, last week you told us how we were supposed to be obedient. So what is the deal? yes. Yes, being a good person is a, a result of Christianity, but trying to be a good person is not Christianity. Trying to be a good person is actually religion, and religion isn't Christianity. Christianity isn't religion. Christianity is a relationship with the living God. That's the difference. That's the difference. And so you can see this all throughout the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament. As you go through the Old Testament, you see people who uh, are trying to do this. In fact, the Old Testament is it's the law, and it's all these people trying to follow the law, and you know, what you know what happens? They're frustrated by their inability to follow the law. So you see a couple of things in the Old Testament. You see, A, people being bad at being good and ruining their lives at, and everybody else around them. So like they're just bad people. So like that's the Old Testament. Or you have people trying to be good, but, but being frustrated by it because they can never get good enough. Or you have people who get good at being good and end up being miserable and making, their, making everybody else around them miserable as well. And have you ever met someone like that? Have you ever met someone who's a really good rule follower and they're really proud of it? Have you ever met someone who's like really good at doing all the right things and checking all the boxes and they're making sure like, I don't know if you saw this, but I'm just amazing. <laughs> and not only that, but they, they become real judgy and trying to make sure you're doing all the right things. I know that person because I was that person. Growing up, that's who I was. We initially grew up in a Catholic uh, church and it was very, very much about the rules. Okay, went to Catholic school, very much about the rules. In fact, if you did not follow the rules, you got smacked with a ruler to remind you, follow the rules. And, and so what happened is when I was in second grade, my parents found Christ. They went to a church that was preaching the gospel, and we got saved, and it was like literally totally transformational. 
And I, in second grade, prayed a prayer. I gave my life to Jesus, and I meant it, and my life completely changed, completely changed. I wanted to start honoring God. I wasn't trying to do the wrong thing. I was, I was wanting to honor God, and my life started to change. But what happened is when I got to high school, because I was following God, I started, I was trying to honor God, but what ended up doing, in addition to my love for God, I started adding a bunch of rules to my faith. And I became, I became really religious. And it was, again, it was coming from a good place. It was coming from a good place, but it, and it, it brought me to a bad place. You know, I was doing things, I mean, I was, I was only listening to Christian music, you know, only Christian music. Like, I was like, I'm going to be like, oh, DC talk, Jesus freak, that's it. <laughs> Good album, check it out, it still holds up. It still holds up. Great album. Um, third day, come on somebody, jars of clay, oof, getting blessed. I would only listen to Christian music. I was, I was like very careful about what I watched on, on television. I was like, okay, I'm not going to watch. I'm going to be very, very careful. I didn't smoke, didn't chew. I didn't go with girls who do. <laughs> and I loved God, but what ended up happening was adding this stuff to my, to my faith, and it was making me miserable, and I was making everybody else miserable around me. I was real judgy, real judgy. And I had gone from lost to found to thankful to judgy. So my relationship with God had become a religion. And there is no life there. There's no life there. That's ultimately, that's self-righteousness. It's pride. And what you see in the Bible is that when Jesus comes on the scene to fulfill the law and ultimately bring salvation to all of mankind, he is most intense with the people who were ultra-religious. They're called the Pharisees. Read the Bible. You, you read the New Testament. You see that the Pharisees were these, these people who were very good at keeping the rules. In fact, Jesus was more confrontational with them than people who were like outright gross immorality. It's true. Woman is caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act. They're like, hey, look, we bring her out. And they throw her down before Jesus and say, she was caught in the act. Jesus was more gracious and less confrontational with her than he was with the people who had kept all the laws but had made it all about the laws. Because, because you know, I think if you would ask us, like, what's, like, what's worse, keeping all of the rules and being self-righteous or being, like, caught in the act of adultery? You'd probably say, well, it's probably being caught in the act. Right? I mean, that, I mean, it's probably a little bit worse. You know what? To God, sin is sin. But self-righteousness is a little bit tricky because it's disguised as Christianity. It's disguised as Christianity. It's not real Christianity. It's disguised as it. And what, what, the, what Jesus says is like, you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power of it. You deny the power of it. And so that's, that's what Jesus came on this scene to bring. He came to bring something greater. He came to bring the answer to the, how do I fix this thing in my life? What do I do? How do I get close to God? And how do I live this thing out? He came to bring something better. He came to bring the gospel. So what's the gospel? What are we talking about? Because 
Because honestly, even watching like theologians and, and pastors, when they talk about the gospel, like there's some, there's, there's camps, there's different camps of, of Christianity. It's beautiful. I love all the different tribes. But some people are very like ultra about the gospel, like every other word is the gospel, it's in the gospel, this gospel, gospel, that. But then you ask them what the gospel is, and it's like two paragraphs. <laughs> they can't give you a simple answer. So what's difficult is like, what are we actually, what are we actually talking about here? Here's the gospel, simple. Jesus saves. That's the gospel. That is the power. That is the seed. Understanding that, letting that go deep into our heart is what will change us and what will change our relationships and what will change our world. Okay, so to understand that Jesus saves, you've got to start with a couple of things. All right, I want to unpack this just for a moment, then we're going to look at some scriptures. You got to understand that we're all messed up. In, in order to stay, understand that Jesus saves, you got to understand that we all need saving, right? Romans 3 says this, for all have sinned, all have messed up in the past, and all fall short continually in the moment of the glory of God. And anybody who can identify with that, say good amen. amen. Right? That's all of us. That's what we say all the time. We're all imperfect people on an imperfect journey towards a perfect God. And he's changing us in the process. He's working in our hearts. And so we've all messed up with that, that sin, those mistakes, that keeps us from a holy God. And that would make sense. If God is a fraction of as holy as the Bible says that he is, then you wouldn't want sin being able to, like, all be up in his presence. Like, you would want him remaining pure and unadulterated. His sin cannot be in his presence. So literally, sin is cast away from his presence. Our sin, our mistake, keep us from God. And what the Bible is clear about is that the answer to that question is not doing better things. Because your betterness would never be better enough to get to God. Your works can't do it. Your works, the flesh only begets flesh. So even your tainted desire, we got sin, so more of what that sin nature is will only be more sinful. And that's what leads to self-righteousness, right? Even if you get good at following the rules, now all of a you're like, I'm really good at following the rules. I hope you, didn't, I hope you all saw that. So that's, that's why the answer to the sin problem is not more of us. What's the answer? Jesus. Jesus saves. It's the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive. How? It is by grace. It's grace. You don't get saved by your works. You don't experience it by your works. It's by Jesus because Jesus saves. It's the gospel. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus not only saves us and makes us right with God, he continues to do this ongoing work inside of our hearts that makes us right with God continually. And the gospel is what does it. More of the gospel in our heart, more of understanding who Jesus is and what he does and how we need him and how we aren't the answer, but he is. That is what will change our lives and that is what will change the world. It changes our habits. It changes our attitudes. It realigns our perspectives. It will revolutionize our relationships and transform our identity. The gospel changes everything. 
So we're going to unpack the gospel over the next couple weeks. Now, sometimes people are like, well, I want to go deeper. I want to go deep, pastor. I'm, not, I'm ready to go deeper than this gospel stuff. I've already been there, done that. Let me just tell you this. You cannot go any deeper than the gospel because the, the gospel, when it works itself out, will, will infiltrate every aspect of your heart and life. But it will change it from the right way, the inside out, not outside in. This is the gospel. And it will ultimately culminate in victory. Let me just show you this. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Doesn't that sound good? Who wants to be a conqueror? Who wants to be an overcomer? Who wants to live in victory and have help and strength and grace and the, the goodness of God being in operation in your life? All of us, right? Yeah. I'll cross that finish line. I want to have my hands raised. But he says this, or, you, or you, he says that, but you might be thinking, my life doesn't look like that. Maybe you're like, man, overwhelming victory. That sounds amazing, but I feel like I'm tripping myself up. The Apostle Paul meets you right where you are in Romans chapter 7. So that's Romans 8. But he meets you where you are in Romans chapter 7. And I want to unpack this. I want to unpack the gospel today. Let this go deep into our hearts, and it's going to change everything about us, all right? So we're going to jump into Romans chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. Romans chapter 7 in the NIV. Uh, if you have your phones, I really would encourage you to follow along. If you're not taking notes on your phone, I would encourage you to read it because we're going to be reading several verses of this. And I, I would love for you to see this actually in the Bible in context. And it's the Apostle Paul talking theology so you got to read slowly or you'll, your brain will hurt, okay? So you got to be careful. And so I want to, do, I want to read a couple of verses, unpack it, read a couple of verses, and unpack it. And even as I do this, this is a way for you to understand, like, how to read the Bible. Sometimes we just, you just read a whole chapter, especially in Romans. Dude, you're going to get, like, tripped up. So what you want to do is read a couple of verses, unpack it, pull some truth from it, and then apply it to your life. All right, so we're going to do that. We're going to walk away better with a better understanding of the gospel. And if you're ready to jump in, say, I am. All right, let's do this. Romans chapter 7. We're going to read slowly. All right. Verse 4. He says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Okay, let me just pull one thing from that. There's a lot you could pull. Let me just pull one thing. It's this. God wants you to bear fruit. God created you to bear fruit. God wants you to bear fruit. The gospel seed inside of you will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. What is the fruit? What's the fruit of the Spirit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Who wants that? All of us. That's the gospel. That's the Spirit's work inside of us. The Spirit seed of the gospel, Jesus saves, working inside of us. God will bear fruit. How does it happen? Not by the flesh. Look at this verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. How many of you know when you were at your worst moment, when you've done your worst thing, said your worst uh, word, thought your worst thought, that was the flesh. That was the flesh being the flesh. And what he's saying is the flesh doesn't bear 
the right fruit. This is just making the point that I just made, right? That, that the flesh is not the answer to the problem of sin in our hearts. That's not what solves it. That's not what gets us closer to God. God wants us to bear fruit. The flesh doesn't bear the right fruit. So what, what do we do? Verse 6, but now by dying to what's one bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Everybody say new way. The new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What's the written code? That's the law. That's what I told you last week that we have to obey, that we have to line up with so that we can do what God wants us to do. But he's saying that's not where the life is. You know what he's saying? The law shows us how much fruit we don't bear. The law is that standard that's reminding us of how jacked up we are. It's like, no, like, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a referee. It's like an umpire. It's like a really bad in-law. Come on, somebody, okay? There's a little humor there for Romans 7. Okay, it's like telling us, like, man, you need to fix this. You need to fix this. You need to fix this. Nope, you're falling short. No, you're falling short. No, you're falling short. The law says that's a strike. That's a strike. That's a strike. It's constantly telling us where we need to improve. So watch what Paul says. He's like, so what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? No, the law is perfect. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. So what the law does for us, it's kind of like an MRI. It shows us the cancer that's in our spirit. The law comes against and says, hey, listen, you've got jealousy. You've got lust. You've got greed. You've got idolatry. Do you see that? You don't see that. Oh, man, the law comes in you're like, Gosh, I've got stuff to work on. Have you ever been reading the Bible and walked away saying, whew, I've got some stuff I've got to fix. But see, the answer is not in the flesh. The answer is in the gospel. The answer is in the spirit. We'll get to that in a second. And he goes on to say this. He says, for what I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. It's like, as soon as you told me I can't do it, what did I want to do? Do it. <laughs> Whatever you just told me, I, have you, you know, that's not just an American thing. That's just a, that's a people thing. That's human nature. Say, so if you have, you have kids and you tell your kids don't touch that, you, what do they want to do? They go, this is my daughter right now. She's three. Be like, hey, no, no, don't do that. And she's just like, as soon, like, she didn't care about it. But as soon as they told her not to, she wants to do it, right? That's the human nature. That's the flesh. And I cast those devils out in Jesus' name. <laughs> but sin, seizing the afforded by the command, producing me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. And once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang up to life and I died. It produces death. I found that the very commandment that sin was intended to bring life, because we talked about that last week, right? Lining up brings life. Obedience brings life. But it actually brought death because I couldn't live up to it. Do you see that? And so it brings discouragement. It brings frustration. Or you do hit it, and you get proud. Are you tracking with me? This is what he's saying. He says, so then, verse 12, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. 
Is the law the problem? What's our problem? What's your problem? You know what your problem is? Sin. All of our problem, our collective problem, is sin. That's the real enemy. That's what Paul's saying. It's not the law. And it's not that you can't be good enough. It's that you have sin inside of you. You have sin. Sin is the real problem. And, and maybe even more, uh, more specifically, the master of sin, the enemy of our souls. Do you know that that's where our battle really is? Look at Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's evil in the heavenly realms, and there's evil in your heart. A sinful nature working against God, working against you bearing fruit, working against you making progress. There is a sin nature. Do you know that the real enemy of your soul, the real enemy that we have right now is not the person who sees things different politically? Do you know that the real enemy of your soul is not the person who watches the other cable channel? Do you know the other, the, the enemy of your soul is not the person who is for masks or against masks? Do you know the real enemy of your soul is someone who wants you to be all distracted by all of that, all the while sin is raging in your heart? Sin is the issue. The enemy is the problem, and the law shows it. The law's like a mirror, and you're like, oh, that's nasty. I got to do something about that, except you can't do anything about that. Only Jesus can, and Jesus saves. Verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. I see exactly how sinful it is. He goes on. We know that the law is spiritual, verse 14, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I know that the answer isn't here. The answer isn't here. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And this is where it kind of gets a little bit Dr. Seuss, so you got to be careful, okay? <laughs> and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. I find this problem. He says, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. <laughs> now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work, waging war. Have you felt like that? Felt like waging war? inside of you, the law of my mind making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Is Kanye West follow God? Ah! That's what he's saying. Can you relate? 
what's, what are we going to do with that? What's the answer? What's the solution? Verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the gospel. Jesus saves. And then Romans 8. Romans 8 is this, this, this whole explanation of how this works out, and it's amazing. It's, it's how you can live to get to that place of overwhelming victory. Look at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're not condemned anymore because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Saying all that God required you can never do but God did sending his son. And on a cross, Jesus took it all. He paid it all so you're free so you're free and that that reality leads paul to three thoughts i'm just gonna give these to you quick and you can unpack these do some some work in your life group or in your in your 30 for 30 this week give you these thoughts spend some time in romans 6 7 8 read, read the whole book this week and let it just simmer in your spirit let me give you three thoughts paul gives us the way we obey and it's this he gives us a motive for obedience, he gives us the means for obedience, and he gives us the mercy for obedience. First of all, let me give you this, the motive for obedience. It's this, we are loved. Everything's gotta start with why. You're gonna follow God, you're gonna obey, is it just so God's not gonna be mad at you? That's not the reason that God gives us. I mean, if that's what he told us, then we'd probably just have to do it. But praise God, he gives us a greater motive it's not just to be afraid of him, it's to be in love with him. He gives us a greater motive, it's love. Look at verse 37. We are, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What's the motivation? He loved us and I live a life that honors him as a result of the love that he has already given me. I'm not trying to get God to like me. I'm not trying to make God be impressed by me. Or, oh, God, you see all this stuff I did. Oh, God, you see all this stuff I did. Will you like me now? He liked you, period. He liked you first. And he likes you most. He says, I'm going to give you a greater reason. 1 John 3 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You are a child of God. If you are in Jesus, you are a child of God. And he loves you with an everlasting love. Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he died for you. Obviously, before you were ever even born, he knew all that you would do, and he died for you still. That understanding now motivates me to live a life that honors him. And he goes on in Romans 8, verse 35, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not the law of God, the love of God. That's what motivates me. 
So it's like any relationship. I'm not faithful to my wife because I'm worried about, oh, man, or I'm not, that she's going to be mad at me and leave me. I'm not, I don't, I don't serve her. I don't honor her because, oh, man, if I don't, she's going to be upset with me. No, I love her. I love her. I love her more than anybody else. And that love drives me. That's the love we have for God. God loved you, and he gave you that love. So you see, when you, when you start living for obedience, you start living in obedience, you, you honor God, you sacrifice, you give all of it. It's not so that he'll like you. It's because he already does. And I'm just living this life to honor you, God. I'm just my gift back to you. Do you see how that, that flips a script? It's not religion. It's relationship. So he says we have a different motive. And then he says we have the means now for obedience. What's the, what's the means? We are empowered. We are empowered. Romans chapter 8, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. Do you know what he's saying? You don't have to do that stuff anymore. You don't have to do it. You can say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to live different. In Jesus' name, help me. Now, now obviously, there's, there's some people delivered overnight. Some people, there's, you have to walk through some counseling. You have to walk through some scriptural coaching and encouragement. You have to, you have to be in accountability with people. There's, there's, a, there's a lot to this. But I want to just give you, I just want to give you the means. The means isn't trying harder. It's worshiping better. And it's understanding that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, the same Spirit that on that third day brought Jesus out of the tomb, that Spirit is yours you have power to live different. You just got to recognize it. You got to invite the Spirit into your life. Praying for, to be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. Every day, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live an overcoming, victorious life. So here's the deal. Okay, so when sin comes, when sin comes knocking... That thing comes knocking, that thought, that anxiety, whatever it is, that thing that messes you up, that thing that is tripping you up in this race, whatever that thing is, when it comes knocking, you have a different motive. You say, no, I'm going to love God. My love for God is greater than my love for this thing. And then you say, God, by your spirit, oh, Lord, help me. Fill me with your spirit right now so that I can say no to the flesh and say yes to God. We have a different motive. We have a different means, but here is, of course, the best news. We have a mercy for obedience. We are forgiven. And this is why it's so important to understand the gospel. Jesus saves. It's not a one-time thing. He saves past, present, and future. You are right with God now. You are right with God for all of eternity if you are in relationship with Jesus. Romans 8 says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The word weakness there is asthenia. It's incapacity, a state of weakness or limitation. This guy's like, I know you can't do this. 
I know you don't have what it takes, but I'm going to die and be, rose, and be raised again to pay sin for you and to redeem you and then empower you to live this thing out so that you can walk in obedience and you can enjoy all of the freedom of not being bound by sin. You can walk in it. You can live in it. This is the new life. This is the new way. So although we have frustrating moments in our follow for God, ultimately God wants us to experience victory. And we can do it in Jesus' name. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, O oh Lord, for how powerful the gospel is. And Lord, I'm excited as we get into this series, we talk about how it's going to change us, it's going to change our community, it's going to change the world. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that you love us, that you died for us, that you saved us, even though we didn't deserve it. God, even though we don't deserve it, you love us. And God, we thank you for it. And God, we just ask you, we ask you to let this go deep into our hearts. Let this go deep into our hearts to change us from the inside out, Lord God. I pray that, Lord, we would, we would be Christians. We wouldn't try to be Christians, but we would be Christians because the gospel works itself into our hearts. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to take a moment. I want to ask you a question. As we get ready to close, this is so important because I'm talking to Christians here, but maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, I'm not a Christian. I don't know if I am. If you don't know that you are, then you're probably not. You should know. Or maybe you know that you're not. And I'm talking about this different way. I'm talking about living for God, living free, living forgiven. And you know what? The Spirit of God is speaking to you right now, and he's saying, you need this. That's God, and he wants you to come home. He wants you to be in right relationship with him, and there's nothing like it. And if that's you today, and you're saying, man, this is speaking right to me. I need this. God, I want this. I, I want God to have his way in my life. I'm ready to say yes. I'm ready to turn my back on my sinful life. I'm ready to turn to him. You can make a decision for Christ today. Say, I want to make a decision. Maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, God's speaking. He's drawing you home. You're saying yes. That's you, and you're saying Scott, would you pray for me? All across this place, would you just slip up your hand and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Let me see it, and you can put it down. It's all across this place. Say, Scott's speaking to me. Hands going up. I see it. Yeah, hands going up. It's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Anybody else? I just want to see it. Pray for you. God, I pray for every person who's raising their hand right now. God, I pray you would speak to them. God, I pray you would make them new. Bring people home to faith in Jesus' name. And help us to live this thing out by the power of your spirit. We love you, Lord. Amen. Church, would you stand with me just all across this place? Nothing like the gospel. The gospel saves. And so what I want us to do before we, before we rush on with the rest of our days, I just want to take a moment and consecrate our hearts to God. Can we do that? And you say, God, I'm going to live, I'm going to live for you. Not by me, but by your spirit. Would you lift your hands all across this place? Just say, God, I want to live for you. I want that power of the gospel to be at work in my life. I turn away from my old life. I turn away to you. I pray you give me overwhelming victory. 
And then, Lord, even when I stumble, give me mercy just to continue on the journey that you will pick me up and you will help me. Father, we pray for it. We give you, give you praise, Lord. We just ask you, Lord, that the grace of God would be so real to us, undeniable, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, let's worship.